Good evening. It's good to be here again tonight with you to speak another message from God's Word uh, like we did this morning. Just before we begin, um, I just want to give my thanks for uh, those who have shown us uh, graciousness and hospitality, uh, members here. Um, I want to especially thank uh, John and Kim. Um, they did a lot with us yesterday, and uh, Don uh, booked a room in the Comfort Inn for me and my family on, on his dime. So, uh, you know, that's a great example of uh, hospitality there. Um, and we appreciate that. And uh, we hope that that type of expression of love and care for one another keeps on growing and growing uh, among all of you as well. Tonight, we're going to be doing kind of a word study in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles to John. And what we hope to do is to get to John 3.16. And when it says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, we want to be asking the question, well, what does it mean to believe there? There's a word that he gives, a verb, that is the condition of salvation, uh, the, the condition of not perishing as, he, as the antithesis of salvation there in that passage. Well, that sounds pretty important. So it's good to you know, get as clear of a definition as we can to understand what does the Bible mean when it says believe there in John 3, verse 16. But before we get to answering that question, we have to build a lot of context in the Gospel of John. And uh, we want to look at how John uses the word believe and, and terms that are translated like that. Now, there's all types of, of uh, misunderstandings about belief in the religious world, uh, just in general. Um, if, if you are familiar with Calvinism or Reformed theology, what they will teach is, well, you can't believe in Christ on your own. Uh, you can't choose to believe on your own. It has to come from God kind of making you believe or causing you to believe. Belief can't come from your own efforts. It must come from God, and He kind of just chooses whether or not He wants you to believe or not. And that's just kind of how it works. Well, that's what a Calvinist, a full Calvinist, would say. And uh, many Baptists also would say that as well. It's kind of like uh, God just chooses to pour a bottle of shampoo on you out of the blue or not. It's a, and, and faith is something that God, it's a mystical phenomenon that God makes happen to you. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off and you start believing in Christ. That's kind of how some people view Belief. Um, some people kind of think that belief, when, it, when it, the Bible talks about how belief is a condition of salvation, they just take what the normal word, when we think of believe, uh, whatever pops into their mind first, they think, well, that's, that's the definition that the Bible is using here, belief. Uh, and some people kind of take it to mean like, well, it just means to think something is true. Uh, some people call it mental assent or cognitive assent. You know, you can believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. 
Um, but what do I mean by that? All I mean is I think it to be a true fact. Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. You can believe that Jesus died and resurrected from the grave. And you can mean by that, I think it's a true fact, a true historical fact. Or you can mean something much more deeper than that. And uh, that's kind of what we want to end up talking about tonight. But in John chapter 3, verse 16, you know, this is one of the big passages that is used when we're talking about belief. Uh, if ever belief comes up in conversation or debate or, or any type of discussion, religious discussion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's our magic word, believe there. What does he mean by believe? Well, first, let's back up and just look at the broad scope of John's gospel. What was the purpose of John's gospel? Why did John write it? I take John to be the writer. He doesn't come out and say he's John, but that's what uh, you know Christian tradition has kind of shown to be the writer. Uh, I think he's the writer, but anyway, what does John say that the gospel of John, the writing, the text, what does he specifically say it's about or its purpose statement is? Well, John's kind of unique in that aspect because if you look at all the other gospels, they don't really have a purpose statement, a clear purpose statement that you can point to and say, uh, this, this settles it, this was the primary purpose why, you know, Matthew wrote Matthew. This is the primary purpose Mark wrote Mark or Luke wrote Luke. We can kind of look at the context and the stories that are put together and the emphases and the themes and we can say, well, I think this is why John, why Luke, you know, was writing Luke and, and all of that. Um, and why he chose the themes he did and, and all that. But John, John's a little bit different because he comes out and just says, this is why I wrote the book. This is why it's, I wrote it. It's kind of like a, whenever people write books nowadays, they, they always put a preface in the book or acknowledgments section before you actually get into the chapters. Um, and usually in the preface, it gives the purpose statement of the book or the vision for the book. Why am I writing this? Well, let me explain to you. That's kind of what uh, many books today do to today. And if you understand the purpose why a book is written, it can really help you kind of get into the mind of the author a lot more quicker. On John chapter 1, verse 7, in John chapter 1, verse 7, John describes John the Baptist. He says in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now I want you to notice right here in verse 7, he is describing John's uh, John the Baptist's ministry and work and purpose. He summarizes John the Baptist's purpose as that all might believe through him. There is a purpose for John the Baptist's ministry, but then when we get to the back of the book, in John chapter 19, first of all, John chapter 19 in verse 35, right after he comes to the climax of the death of Jesus, Jesus finally died after being on the cross uh, for so many hours, 
And he describes that in, in detail here, but he kind of just, just uh, interrupts the story in verse 35 and makes sure his readers know, I'm a witness of all of this, and I'm telling you so that you'll believe. So you look at verse 35, he says, He who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. So he, here you have John, he just kind of interrupts the passion narrative uh, between the cross and the resurrection, the burial and the resurrection, and he says, hey, I'm a witness of this thing, I'm explaining it so that you will believe. So there we have again a purpose statement, why he's telling us what he's telling us. But then chapter 20 gives an even clearer statement of why John is writing the book to begin with. In John chapter 20 Verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. And he's talking about these things that I talked about in the last 20 chapters. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's the first purpose of John's writing. To lead the reader to believe in Jesus. And he goes on to say that the second purpose is, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The first purpose is that you believe, the first purpose of this book, you believe. The second purpose that by believing you will have life. I take it to mean the same thing that John 3.16 says, that you will be saved and not perish. What we see right there is that kind of John, from the beginning, when he describes John the, ministry, John the Baptist's ministry in chapter 1, all the way to the end to describe just his overall writing of the Gospel of John itself, the purpose is to lead the reader to Believe in Jesus. Right there, right away, we see, okay, belief is a big deal to John. He wants his readers to believe, and he he wants his readers to uh, come to belief in Jesus. Well, what does it mean? What does that mean to believe in Jesus? Um, And there's, you can ask the question, kind of uh, frame the question in two different ways. What does belief do for us in John's Gospel? And what does it do for us in a negative way? What does it do for us positively, and what does it do for us negatively? So we'll look at a couple passages that belief does something for us positively. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive Him, talking about Christ, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what did he, what did God do for them? He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's kind of two different ways of reading this, this statement when he says he gave the right to become a children of God. Uh, you you can read this by saying he gave like the power or he gave the authority 
he gave the, the ability to, to become a child of God. Or, or another way of reading it is that he gave the right or he gave the privilege. He gave the liberty to choose to become a child of God. And uh, I, I kind of lean toward the latter way, the latter uh, interpretation of that. But nonetheless, what we see right here is that whatever belief does in this passage, it leads someone to become a child of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. We've already mentioned chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What does this belief do for you? Well, he says it leads you to not perish, but to have eternal life. In a sense, it saves. This type of belief saves. And if you go over to John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Here is a statement. Uh, Jesus uses the same verb, believe, and that belief is described as leading you from to pass from, de- from death to life. It's almost resurrection language there. It's something that belief does for you that John is definitely... Uh, describing in a positive way. But, John has some things to say about belief that sound kind of negative. Look over at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Chapter 2, 23, 24, and 25 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That sounds like a good thing, right? Many were believing in Jesus because they were, you know, being convinced by the testimony of his signs and miracles that he was doing. What does the next phrase say? Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. And it almost is like throw this the verses 24 and 25 kind of throw a wrench into the into the story. It's like here you have people who are coming to believe in Jesus, but then Jesus kind of doesn't think too highly about that belief for some reason. And it almost makes Jesus turn away from them. In a sense, what's going on there? These pe- why are these people called believing, but it doesn't really do anything for them as far as Jesus goes? Chapter 8. Look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. Chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. Verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I want you to notice right there in verse 31 uh, who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to Jews, and these Jews are described as having believed in Jesus. Okay? So that's the same word used in John 3.16, believe. But then I want you to notice the conversation, how it develops. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become, uh, you shall become free? Well, I don't know what history they've been reading, but the Jews have been enslaved to people pretty much ever since their first existence. Uh, so that statement that they've never been enslaved to anyone is just the epitome of arrogance. But in verse 34, he said, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Notice right there in verse 37, here, who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Jews who are described as believing in him, and he's accusing them of wanting to kill him. And he describes that his word doesn't find a place in them. Verse 38, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And on down, all the way to down verse 58, uh, verses 57 and 58, he's talking to the same Jews in verse 31, the Jews who had believed him. In verse 57, see what happens here. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What would a Jew think of whenever a man was saying his identity is, I am? He was claiming to be Yahweh. That's the same phrase that's used in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 whenever Moses is you know, wondering, well, God, uh, you want me to go to Pharaoh, but he's trying to find every, every excuse in, in, the, in the tool shed. And uh, he said, well, what should I say? Uh, who, who sent me? Who sent me? And God said, tell them, I am who I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. And now, you know, almost 1,400 years later now, Jesus is using that same word to describe himself. Before Abraham was, 
I am. Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What I want you to see right here is in verse 31, Jesus begins a conversation with Jews who believe him. These Jews who are described as believing Jesus, by the end of the conversation, are picking up stones to kill Jesus. What did this belief that they had in Jesus do for them? Well, one thing it did was it led them to try to kill Jesus. Whatever belief that is, it's not the type of belief that Jesus is looking for. Look over at chapter 12, John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 42. John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here again, you have Jews... Uh, specifically the authorities, the, the politicians, the people who are in high positions in the Jewish uh, community, uh, the influential people, they believed in Jesus. Many of them did. But what did that belief do for them? Well, what, all it did was led them to basically deny Christ. Because they like their status in the synagogues. Is that the type of belief that John is hoping his readers get? Is that the type of belief well, I'm writing to you so that you may believe and hopefully that will lead you to, you know, uh, deny Christ and, and not really live for him or anything like that. And that's the type of belief I'm talking about. Well, of course not. That's not what. But John uses the same word. To describe these people. What's going on here? In one place it says that John, that belief leads you to become a child of God and to become uh, almost language that would almost kind of describe as an imitator of God. It will save you. It will lead you to escape the wrath of God, etc., etc. And then on the other hand, you have passages in John, the same book, which describes people as believing in Jesus, but then their actions totally go the opposite way. They're denying Christ. They're ready to kill Him. They're picking up stones to throw at Him. What's going on here? Is this a contradiction? And James is using a word here and then there, and, and well, you know, John is obviously contradicting himself. No, John is using the same word, believe, but he's using it in different ways. And he hopes that the reader will just pick up on that as he starts reading through the gospel. And so let's look at some of these definitions that, of belief that John uses. 
You know, if you just pick up a, a, a lexicon or a Bible dictionary and you look up belief, uh, like if you look up Strong's dictionary and uh, or concordance or um, theirs, and you just look up belief. I want to know what belief means. And you look it up, and then you find, uh, you know, A, B, C, D. And it starts describing all these different definitions for belief. And you think, well, which one is it? I want to know the right definition for belief. Well, what those, what Thayer was doing when he was putting the A, B, C, D different definitions was he was showing, well, sometimes this word is used this way. Sometimes the same word is used this way, and sometimes the same word is used this way. What's going on there? Well, it depends on context. Context determines how a word is being used. And the, and the, the biblical writers expect us to pay attention to context when we're reading the Bible, when we're trying to figure out what does this word mean and what does that word mean. And that's what's going on with the word belief in John. Now, this word for belief, uh, it's the Greek word pistuo. Um, and it's sometimes translated as believe. Usually when it's in the verb form, it's translated in the English Bibles as believe. Like he believed in him or he believes such and such. Um, if it's translated as a noun, it's usually translated as Faith. Uh, and it's rarely translated as trust. But if you look at Paul's letters, when Paul uses the word, he usually uses the noun form, faith. And it's usually translated faith. John, in John's gospel, he doesn't really use the noun form. He uses the verb form. And so what you'll see in, in John's gospel, you if you type in faith in a, in a you know online search engine, uh, or something like that for the Bible, you're not going to find the word faith come up in John, the Gospel of John. Well, why not? Well, because the translators have just translated as believe, the same word. But there's one exception in the Gospel of John. There's one exception from translating it as believe. If you would look over at 2.24, chapter 2.24. Chapter 2, verse 24, it says, we already read this earlier. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Now, which word in verse 24 is the same word, same Greek word, for believe everywhere else that John uses the term? It's that word entrust. When Jesus says he did not entrust himself, that's the same word that's used in John 3.16 to describe whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right away, we can just see from the Gospel of John that when when you look at how it was used for Jesus in verse 24, there's more going on there than just thinking something to be true, or thinking something to be, in fact, real. 
But you can see this, the, uh, the couple of different ways that John uses the, the, the word. Number one is just acceptance of a fact. So look over at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. In chapter 9, verse 18, it says, this is talking about the blind man who Jesus uh, healed. And you have a whole chapter devoted to that story in John, John chapter 9. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. I want you to notice it's using that same word that, is, that John wants his readers to do with Jesus, believe in him. Now it's using that same word to describe the relationship between these Jews uh, who are trying to figure out this case of the healed blind man. And it's, it uses that same word, they did not believe that he was actually blind. How is, it being, how is that verse using that word? Well, it's just meaning they didn't believe it to be a fact. They didn't, they didn't think it was true that he was previously born blind. They thought he was faking until they called in his parents and they make, gave their testimony and then they decide, okay, well, I, we don't know what to do. With, we don't know what to believe here. But if you look over at chapter 8, chapter 8, Again, earlier as we read this, in verse 31, you have Jews who are believing Jesus. It says, verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, and he starts talking to them. By the end of the chapter, those same Jews are picking up stones to throw at him, in verse 59. What is going on with these Jews who so-called believe him? Well, apparently... All that meant when they believed him was they just believed that he was actually saying things that were true. But nothing more. So what we can see is that one way that John is using the word believe is to mean just thinking and being convinced that something is actually historically true. It's a fact. And just like I might, again, take the Abraham Lincoln example, I might believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. What do I mean by that? I think it's a fact. I think it's true. Now, that doesn't say anything about my devotion to Abraham Lincoln. It doesn't say anything about my... Uh, attitude toward Abraham Lincoln, I might, can't stand the guy. But it doesn't mean, I mean, all it means is I believe, I think, it was true. But there's another way that John is using this phrase. And I think a good way of rendering it is trust. Trusting oneself to Jesus. A deep conviction that drives your inner being. Reliance. Confidence. 
and trusting yourself. Look over at chapter 5. Chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 18 through 47. Here Jesus is speaking to some Jews who again were planning to kill Jesus. And I want you to notice in this section all the different expressions that Jesus uses in his, I guess you could call it a monologue. He's kind of just giving a big long speech to these Jews. Uh, I want you to notice all the expressions that he uses to describe what you must do to be saved or what you must do to have a relationship with God through Jesus. So let's look at some of these. Let's look at uh, verse 23. Look at verse 23. It says, uh, starting in verse 22 to get the full sentence, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. What is Jesus wanting people to do to the Father, to Jesus Himself? He's hoping that people will honor Him. Look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, talking about the resurrection here, and He says, the dead will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Here, Jesus is describing the resurrection and he's picturing the kind of two types of people in the resurrection. The first category of people he describes as those who have done good. The second category of people, those who have done evil or those who have done wicked. Well, if you want to be in the first category of people, what do you have to do to get into that category? Well, apparently you have to do good. Whatever that means there. Now you can read the rest of the gospel to figure out what the idea of doing good means. It means to trust God, follow Him, to do what He says, and to give your life to Jesus, and etc. Look at verse 35. In verse 35, uh, He was a burning and shining lamp, talking about John the Baptist. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light... But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He uses that expression that you were willing to rejoice in John the Baptist's light, in the light of John the Baptist. I think uh, we can infer right there that what Jesus is saying is, okay, you were, you were willing to rejoice in John the Baptist, but now you need to be willing to rejoice in Jesus, in me, in the Messiah. What is that? It's an expectation of what Jesus expects His people to do. What He expects His people to uh, do who are coming to Him. Rejoice in Jesus. Look at verse 40. In verse 40, it says... Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You refuse to come to me 
that you may have life. Again, a description of walking toward Jesus, coming to Him. That's what you must do to be saved in verse 40. And then in verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What does that tell us about belief? What does that tell us about the belief that Jesus expects His people to get? You have to seek God's glory. It's a lot more than just believing or or thinking Jesus actually rose from the dead. It's a lot more than just thinking that Jesus is able to forgive you. It's a lot more than all that. That's what is included in belief, in right in John's Gospel. But I want you to look at verse 24. Verse 24, you have a, a parallel statement with believing. In verse, uh, verse 24 here, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Hear And the idea of that is not just uh, your ears, you know, the the sound waves bouncing off your eardrums, but actually getting intent with God's Word and and the Scriptures and diving your nose into them, trying to figure out, you know, what are these words saying? I want to build my life around them. Hear and believe. Look at verse 38. In verse 38... He says, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. What does it mean to believe there? What can we get from that, uh, how Jesus uses that word believe there, and, and what it adds to our concept of true belief? True belief means you abide in the Word of God. And the Word of God is abiding in you. That idea of the, the Word abiding in you, there in verse 38, is that the, the, the Word, the Scriptures, the, the, what God has re- revealed to us is kind of the the energy that, that precedes us in our life. Why do we live? Because the Word of God is dwelling within me. And I am living off it. That's what it means to believe. And so what you can see, you could do this with, look at all the other uh, speeches that God, that Jesus gives in chapter 6 and in chapter 8. And in chapter 10, and you'll come away with it seeing that uh, things like in, in chapter 8, verse 51, in chapter 8, verse 51, for example, in all these speeches, Jesus used the term belief over and over, but because of time, I'm not going to go through all of them. But in chapter 8, verse 51, in this section where Jesus has been saying about, talking about they need to believe in Him, He says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, 
he will never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Well, Jesus, I thought you said you were supposed to believe in you. Now you're talking about all this keeping your word stuff. So which one is it? Believe or keeping your word? Jesus would say yes. That's all encompassed in belief. And the moment that we start divorcing belief from action is the very moment that we step into the shoes of the guy who in James chapter 2 and verse 17 and 18 and 19 is debating, who says, I have works and you have faith. And James says, yeah, but show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, there's no such thing as faith, as true Christian faith, if there is no action with it. And they must be molded together, and they must be married together, and never separated. Obedience and faith... They cannot be separated. The moment they do, it's not real faith anymore. And so we come to John 3, verse 16. In light of all that we see that John has to say about belief, then we come to John chapter 3. And John 3 has several things to say about salvation. At first, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he has some things to say about salvation to him, and some things that that must happen to us or that we must do to be saved. So look at here in verse 5, John chapter 3, verse 5. He says, uh, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What do you got to do to be saved? You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. Uh, uh, according to John. Now, there's debate over what exactly that means, but uh, I'm not going to get into that debate. I personally think it's talking about uh, baptism and the cleansing that Jesus offers at baptism. Um, But you've got to do something. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. That much is clear. In verse 15, look at verse 15. Verse four, starting in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. There again, believe. you got to believe in Jesus if you want to be saved. Verse 16, again, you got to believe. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Then verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, there's a different verb there. It's not believe. Verse 21, it's doing what is true. Doing what is true. 
Well, Jesus, which is it? Are you wanting us to be born again? Are you wanting us to believe? Or are you wanting us to do what's true? Because you're sending mixed signals, Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is putting all these together in the same pot. And Jesus would say, what it means to believe includes doing what is true. What it means to be reborn includes believing, includes doing what is true. And we can look at verse 33. In verse 33, and we, we go on here. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. You've got to receive his testimony. Um, and then in verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right there, it just gives it as clear as day that he's defining belief. The way he's using the word believe, verse 36, the opposite of whatever it means to believe, as John is saying, is to disobey God. And so you could kind of think of it like this in verse 36. If you want to be lost, what must you do? If you want to be lost, what must you do? Disobey, right? It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay? If you want to, diso- if you want to be lost, disobey. But if you want to be saved, what must you do? Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What we can see right there is that they're opposites. Obedience is summed up in the idea of belief here. It's, it's doing what is true. It's your, your, your loyal to Jesus. Your allegiance is toward Jesus. Your trust Jesus. Your faith is in God. Your entire, you're entrusting your entire being to Him, both body and soul. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And the question I want you to ask yourself tonight is do you have John 3.16 type belief or do you have John 12:42 type belief? In John 12:42 where the Jews and the authorities were believing in Jesus but because of fear of being put out of the synagogue they kept their mouths shut. They did not confess him. Which type of belief do you have? And which type of belief are you aiming toward? Because the Bible makes it clear that if we're going to have the right type of belief, it involves obedience, it involves sacrifice, it involves uh, surrender, it involves uh, our, our entire 
loyalty to God, entire love, and our entire heart to give to God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe in Him? Not just do you think he was, he was a historical person. Not just do you think he died for your sins. Not just do you think he rose from the grave. Not just do you think. But do you actually believe in his person? Are you entrusting yourself to him? Are you enlisted as a soldier of the cross? That's what John is telling us that believe is. If there's any that are subject to the invitation tonight, think about that. Think about uh, how the demand of belief. Uh, we can point to John 3.16. It sounds such a simple thing that we all you have to do is believe, but what does it mean to believe? There's so much to it. And it goes down to our deepest being in our person. And we have the choice. We have the choice to either do it or not do it. And the way we express our faith, and the first step we express it is first by just changing our mind to, to start following God and uh, confess Him as Lord and be baptized into Him, and that's when the real faith starts. That's when the real belief starts. If there's anything that we can do for you tonight, let us know as we stand, as we sing.